Well, it's really good to be here. It's, it's a great privilege and a great honor to be um, speaking in Destiny. I've spoken in many of the Destiny churches throughout the region, um, from Inverness down into the Shawlands and Glasgow and city, uh, the city building there. Uh, just over the time, it's just been great, and this is a new experience today. Um, as a, in the introduction, I just heard part of it as I come through the door. I'm looking forward to hearing myself preach on that, with that introduction. It's always nice when somebody gives you a good introduction. Um, but my passion has already been said. My passion is to see people one, souls one, people coming to a knowledge of Jesus. That's what I, I live for. I've, I've, um, uh, nothing gives me a greater feeling, a greater buzz, if that's the right terminology to use, than seeing people coming to Christ. But one of my other passions alongside of that is equally as important, I would suggest, is to see other people bringing people to Jesus, to help empower and train people to also win people for Jesus, because that's where the power is. If I was to win in my lifetime X amount of people, I could only win the people that I personally speak to. But if I was to empower every single person in this room today to do the same as I do, then we could potentially win a nation. That's the difference. Now, what I want to talk to you about is just on this whole thing on evangelism. But the problem that we have when we even mention in churches nowadays the word evangelism is most of us that have been in church for a while will hear that word and process it through a stronghold or a filter in our mind that we've built up that says, this is not really my ministry. This is not really for me. I've heard this before. He's going to challenge me to do this, that, and the next thing. And we process it that way. Bible calls it a stronghold. And I really believe the Holy Spirit wants to break through that in our lives, open our ears and open our eyes to really hear what he's saying about that. So before I ever speak on anything like this, I always take a prayer, a time to pray, just to ask the Lord to break through that. So can we do that this morning first? Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you for your power. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your revelation. And Father, in the name of Jesus, I just address every stronghold, in our mind, every preconceived idea, every filter that we've put up, Lord, to filter things through. Father, I just pray by your Spirit right now that you would undo which is not of you. Lord, that we would clearly hear this morning and clearly see, unhindered, or from any stronghold this morning, what you are saying through your Word to reach this nation. Father, we pray it in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Right, I believe as a church, as a network, Destiny Network are a great network for corporately winning people to Jesus. We see many souls coming to Christ across the churches on a regular basis. And that is great, it is wonderful, and needs to continue and needs to increase. But one of the things that we possibly need to improve on, every church needs to improve on, is our individual uh, walk with God and winning souls. I believe that every single believer is called to win souls. It is not the responsibility of the evangelist to win souls. If you're familiar with the fivefold ministry in Ephesians that the Bible speaks about, it speaks about prophets and pastors and evangelists and teachers. It speaks about all these giftings that God gives to the church. But what it actually says, if you read it closely, is that these gifts are given to the church to do what? To equip the church for the works or to do the works of ministry. Nowhere in the New Testament will you find that there's a responsibility of an evangelist to preach the gospel. Yet traditionally, that's how we embrace it. Nowhere will you see, you, you see that there's a responsibility of an evangelist to, to, to preach 
and to, and to see souls saved. We just assume that's what it is because that's what an evangelist is. The primary responsibility of the fivefold ministry of each of these things, and today I'm speaking in evangelist terms, is to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. That means you get equipped for you to do it, not just leave it to the evangelist. That's what it's about. But that's a bit it seems to be missing. You see, people really abdicate the responsibility and do not take personal responsibility for winning the lost themselves. And that's what I really want us to look at biblically this morning. And I want to challenge you on some of these things um, this morning. And the question I've got for you, I've got quite a few, but first question I've got for you is, how many people in this church this morning, now I'm not speaking corporately, I'm speaking on a personal level, not in a church service, I mean out there in the midst, in between, in where you work, where you, you frequent, in your neighborhoods, whatever, how many of you have led someone to Jesus? Not prayed for them in a church thing. I'm talking out with a church. Can I show, see your hands? That's probably third, maybe, slightly less. It's probably about average in most churches, to be honest. Roughly a third. If I ask the third, that third that put their hands up to come and stand at the front and give testimony to how powerful that experience, I would suggest that every one of them would say it is probably, next to their own salvation, the most powerful experience and the best joy that they had is seeing somebody coming to Christ and being part of that. So my next question is, for those that didn't lift their hands that have never experienced that, how many of you would love the joy and the experience of leading someone to Jesus? Can I see your hands? The rest of the church. Every one of us wants that. Every one of us would love to do it. The problem is, for many reasons, we, we haven't seen it. For many reasons, some of us feel we'll never see it. And, and, and many times the enemy comes along and accuses us of all we're past and we're failures and we're not good enough and all these things and you'll never do it because you can't communicate and you can't speak and you can't do it and you can't do it and you can't do it and you can't do it. But the Bible says you can. And I'm here today to reverse what the enemy is saying and saying, saying to you and compounding and, uh, and building fear upon fear, saying, no, you, you can't do that. And I'm going to say to you this, this morning, yes, you can. And I'll show you how you can this morning. So let me ask you another question before I read some scripture. How many of us, including those that lifted their hands the first time, find it hard to witness for our faith? And my hand will be up first. It is not an easy thing to witness for Christ. It is not an easy thing to do. However, the reason that we find it really difficult is because we've been taught to do it the wrong way around. And that's what I want to show you this morning. If you've got your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 is when Jesus sends the 70 out. And these are the words that he says to them. Now, you're going to be familiar with part of this passage, which is the first part. When I start to come on certain words in this first part of the passage, you'll say, I've heard this bit. But towards the end of the passage, there is a truth there that you really need to grasp this morning. Jesus says, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, the harvest truly, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We've all heard that scripture. Then he says this, go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves, carry neither money, bag, knapsack, sandals, greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, this is what I want you to hear this morning. First thing to do is say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. 
remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things they give, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house, whatever city you enter, and they receive you, eat such things as set before you. Then it says, and heal the sick. Notice it doesn't say pray for the sick. The only time you'll see pray for the sick in the New Testament is in, in this chapter in James where it says call the elders to pray. Every other reference is heal the sick, not pray for the sick. So he says, heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. But what, what the Bible really clear, if you read the New Testament and you read what Jesus says and when he sends them out and when, he, when he's speaking to his disciples, you can summarize, summarize it this way. Mission is not an option for the Christian. It's a command. Go into the world and preach the gospel. Not an optional extra for the church. It's a command. How do we do this? Well, like I said right at the start, people process this a different way and think the responsibility to reach the lost is to the evangelist. And we can name them. Name certain evangelists. It's their response. But it's not. Every single one of us in this room is called to be a witness. Now, I know you've been doing teach some teachings and looking at, at, at different aspects of the Holy Spirit recently. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, there's a key scripture, it says, that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, right? Many people think that when people get baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's for speaking in tongues. That is the evidence of it. That's not the purpose. The Bible says to build yourself up in your most holy faith, Jude 20. And obviously interceding, speaking in tongues. That's part of it. But right at the start of chapter of Acts, verse 1, verse 8, it says this. You shall receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, he says to them, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. The purpose of the Holy Spirit coming was to bring power to witness. Because God knew we couldn't do it on our own. It is a difficult thing to do. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We're living in a society today, a modern culture today, that basically has got no reference point for Jesus. Kids are three, third, fourth generation, never been to Sunday school. Means their parents, their grandparents, never been to Sunday school. Never heard a Bible story. Don't know who Noah is. Don't know some of the, the things that we hold dear. No idea. Can't even make a start. How do we reach them? How do we even engage them in a conversation when they've no reference point to start? That's the difficulty that we are facing, and it's getting harder and harder to do that. So we've got to find a way to do it. I'll give you a wee story where my father at Easter time is involved with the Methodist church in Peterhead, which is in Aberdeenshire, by the way, which is nowhere near Perthshire. I mean, how bad is that? Perthshire. You need a geography lesson. Yeah, pray for that. Uh, my father at Easter time... Uh, along with the Methodist Church, what they do is they put a big wooden cross up in the center of Peterhead. And it's there for part of Easter. This, three years ago, the cross was broken. Somebody vandalized it. And the council put the cross up. So they went to the council yard and said, look, the cross has been damaged. Will you go and attend to it? So the, this council guy goes up to the, the middle of the town. He's an unbeliever. He's, he's not a church person. He sees the cross that's broken, and he sees a, a bunch of guys, 10, 12, 12 to 14-year-olds, together, not far away from where it was broken. And he goes over to them and he asks this question, who did this? Pointing at the cross. Nobody spoke. Who did this? He said a second time. Nobody spoke. So the third time he said this to them, who broke the cross? Silence. Then one lad said, is that what it was? 
And he said, this unchurched man said, what do you mean? Is that what it was? Do you not understand what the cross means, stands for, symbolizes? Silence. Then one young lad said, is it something to do with the Bible? So this council worker came back to my father to tell him this story. Shocked he was that this, this group of boys didn't even know what the cross stood for. That's the culture that we are living in. It's been brought up. We've got to find a way to be Jesus to them. We've got to find a way to engage with them and to a reference. And the secret to it and the way to do it is found in Luke chapter 10, which is the biblical model and pattern that Jesus worked to and the apostles adhered to. In verse 5, he says, speak peace. Now, we're a church, charismatic church. Pentecostal churches are the same. And in most charismatic and Pentecostal churches, when we preach from a platform, this is what we do. We'll finish the meeting, and we'll make an altar call for salvation for them that do not know Jesus to respond. That's the first thing we'll do. And because we are Pentecostal charismatic people, we will say, if you've got sickness in your body, feel free to come to the front, and we'll pray for that as well. So we'll engage you, we'll pray for you, we'll speak to you. So we'll get to know you a wee bit. We might even go out into the foyer and have a cup of coffee with you after we've prayed with you. And then before we send you home on your way today, we'll speak a word of peace on you and say, bless you, it was really nice to see you, peace be with you, and away you go. That's the way it's done traditionally across our churches. And I'm talking big churches, not just not Destiny Network. I'm speaking generally across churches. That's the way we do it. But here in Luke chapter 10, Jesus reverses the order completely. He says this to them, verse 5 first. First thing to do, he says, speak peace. That's the reversal. Then he says, eat and drink with them. Or we would say, have fellowship with them. Build a relationship with them. Have some fellowship with them. So the first thing you're doing, you're speaking peace into their situation. Bless them. You're having a building a wee relationship with them. You're having eating and drinking, having something to eat with them, having a bit of fellowship. Then he goes on to then, say then, Heal the sick, like I mentioned earlier, not pray for the sick, heal them. Then, lastly, preach the kingdom. Why does he tell them to do that? The exact opposite way to what is normal for us. Because the key to the whole thing is the power and the presence of Jesus to change a life. If you engage a person and share the gospel with them after you have prayed for them for their need, whatever that is, and God meets that need and touches their life. When you share the gospel with them, they are wide open. What we're trying to do is share the gospel with people that are not open. And there's a reason why they're not open. But this whole thing about sharing the, the gospel, but first praying for their needs, to, to give it a label, it's called felt need evangelism. Just a label. Some people have used the word friendship evangelism, but friendship evangelism is just making friends. Felt need evangelism is meeting whatever need that person has first before you share the gospel with them. What does that mean, felt need? It basically means that you're first and foremost concerned with their physical well-being before you are with their spiritual well-being. Now, before you shoot me down off the platform, I am absolutely, totally, and utterly concerned about their spiritual well-being. That goes without question. That's far more important to me than their physical well-being. However, in order to get to a place of dealing with a spiritual need, the best way to do is to deal with the physical need, whatever that is, first. Bring the presence of God into that situation by prayer, and we'll tell you a wee bit about that in a minute, and then share the gospel with them. Of course we want them to come to Christ. William Booth said, 
when he had a young boy in front of him, he had William Booth's Salvation Army, he said, the young boy was in front of him, no shoes on his feet, and his belly was empty. So he put shoes on the young boy's foot, feet, and he fed him. He said, what's the point of sharing the gospel with someone that is hungry and has no shoes on their feet? First, clothe them, feed them, then share the gospel with them. Not a new revelation, very biblical, and we'll go into it. Being more concerned first with their physical need, whatever the need is first, before rushing in to try and preach the gospel to them. This is not a social gospel, by the way, I'm preaching. And you'll see what I mean by this as I go on. If you meet their needs physically and emotionally first, if you meet that, they will be far more likely to listen to what you have to say when you start to share Christ with them. Far more likely. Let me give you an example. I used to be in the kitchen industry. I had my own kitchen business before I did my property side. And I went out to this house to measure a kitchen. What I did is I measured up the room, and then I would take it away and I'd draw it all up. And then I would meet the couple back in the showroom and present it to them. I went into this house in Fraserburgh, which is not in Perthshire. That's in Aberdeenshire as well. And um, it's 17 miles from Peterhead, from our friend in the front. Um, and I measured up the kitchen, and the woman was in the kitchen with me. The, the husband didn't come in at all. But he met me on the way out of the house. He was a big guy, burly gruff kind of guy he was very abusive to me as I was leaving the house just and I thought oh, this is going to be brilliant when they come to the showroom so I wasn't looking forward to it and I wasn't expecting it to be a sale two days later I'd arranged for them to come to the showroom I get to the showroom I'm slightly late they're already there I walk in they're seated at the breakfast bar and I see the, the husband sitting there and he's a shadow of the man I saw three, two three days earlier he's got a staff in each hand he's seated and he's heaving for breath really struggling. And I said to his wife, what's wrong with your husband? First quick thing came out of my mouth. She says, well, he had an accident five years ago and he fell down a fish, a hold of a fishing boat, hit his head on the engine block and he's never been able to work and he's on lots of medication and the doctors can't do anything for him. So I looked him straight in the face and I said to him, has anybody offered to pray for you? He kind of looked at me, he kind of eyes glazed a bit, thought I was off my head, but then finally said to me, no, nobody has. And I said, can I pray for you? And he said, oh, I would be obliged to you. I would have to come to church on Sunday with you. I said, no, I never said anything about church. I said, pray for you here and now. So I took him into my office, just a way to start to pray for him, just start to tell him what was the way to do. And his wife burst into tears. And she said, well, why are you doing this for us? And I said, it's because you just said there's nothing can be done for your husband. He needs a miracle. Basically, the doctors can't do anything. But she said, she'd hardly know us. I said, it doesn't matter. So I said, what I'm going to do, I'm just going to come around the side of the desk and I'm going to lay my hands on my hand on your shoulder, if that's okay, and then we'll pray. Now, let me stop and say this to you. That is one of the most important things you can do when you get a chance to pray with an unbeliever, is put your hands on their shoulder, gently. Because what happens there is the power and presence of God that is in you suddenly comes into their airspace, and something starts to happen. And I'll tell you how that works in a second. But we, in that situation, we prayed for this guy took a couple of guys through from the other offices and they prayed with me. And I would have loved to say to you that that guy got instantaneously healed, but he didn't. He left the building. He bought the kitchen. He left the building. He then, four weeks later, one of my uh, installation team went out to fit the kitchen. The guy just got in the front door and he came right to them and he said, where's the guy with the red hair? Couldn't even remember my name. He says, he prayed for me and he tells him, this guy, he says, he prayed for me Four weeks ago. I thought I was getting worse at the end of the first week. But by the end of that week, I was totally healed. I've been off medication for three weeks. 
I can do this. And he started bending and jumping and doing all, all the kind of things. I am healed. And this is what he said. Go and get him on the phone and get him through here. I want to know about this Jesus he prayed to. Now, here's something. I never shared Jesus with him when I prayed for him, for his healing. In fact, he said something to me just before I prayed. This is a man apparently had never been in church before. Just as I was away to lay my hands on him that four weeks ago that I was talking about, he asked this question, do you believe in the great lake of fire? Right, random comment, just come out of his head like that. And I said, well, I do, but we can deal with that later. I never even went into that. He's prayed for his need. But what happened is God touched him. And because God touched him, he was, he was so convinced of the reality of God and the power of the Spirit, he needed to know who Jesus was. And I was there within 20 minutes, as fast as my car could take me to Fresborough to share Jesus with him. What opened the door for the gospel? The, the fact that I prayed for his need and met his need. Felt need evangelism, folks, is not a new revelation. What I'm sharing with you today is a restored revelation to the church, which I believe that the enemy has done a good job in suppressing people from seeing the truth of Scripture. If you think about it, Jesus, in the end of chapter 4 of Matthew's Gospel, it says that Jesus, um, that the multitudes followed Jesus because of the miraculous things that he did. So what did Jesus do? He healed all them that were sick and had disease first. They came to him and he healed them. Then he sat them down and he preached it the gospel to him, preach the kingdom to him. He didn't preach it first and then pray for their needs. It says he met their needs. The apostles, they did exactly the same things. They all met the needs. And it's interesting, if you study Jesus' healing ministry, that every single miracle Jesus did, except one, only one was done in the temple, the church. All the rest was done in the marketplace out where the people were. Signs and wonders are for the lost. Not necessarily for the church. We love to see signs and wonders on our altars of our churches. But all except one of Jesus' miracles was done out there amongst the people. Why? That the lost would see the power of God. That the lost would see it in action and turn and respond to Jesus. The problem is the church is keeping it inside the church. It's not taking it out to where it should be. That's where it was. So the apostles, they did exactly the same thing. In Acts chapter 3, you find the story of the lame man. He's, he's at the gate, beautiful. Peter and John are passing. He asks them for money. They say, we well, haven't got money to give you, but what we'll have is, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And this lame man gets up and walks. It's a miracle. And the problem is, when you read chapter, the chapters of the Bible, is the Bible wasn't written in, in, in chapters. So the book of Acts was written as a book. But the writers put in chapter breaks. And if you read that story and you come to the end of the chapter, what you'll find is that they run ahead. The, the guy runs ahead of them. They get to the temple together. The guy's jumping about, leaping about. He's a lame man that's now healed. People recognize him, and they say, what's happened? Peter then gets up to speak, and he tells them all about this Jesus that they crucified and tells them it was in his name and his power that they did this miracle. And the chapter finishes. But Peter's still going in the story. If you read the first three chapters, because you read three chapters a day, you've got to wait till the next day before you get the story, and you can miss the point. But if you read through chapter 3 into 4, you'll find by the time you get to Acts chapter 4, verse 4, it says that 5,000 people responded to the gospel that day after he shared what had happened in the miracle. So the miracle opened the door for the salvation of 5,000 people. 
That's what opened the door. The miracle first, then the salvation. 5,000. Now, examples. Let me give you some examples of felt need because we're speaking about healing. It's not just about healing. It could be lack of a job. It could be a marriage problem. It could be family problems. It could be despair. It could be hopelessness. It could be rejection. It could be loneliness. It could be just a lack of being loved. Or it could be sickness and disease. There's so many needs that people have out there. And they're so real to these people. They're felt needs. People are desperate. But let me ask you another question. What stops these people coming to Christ? What's the single thing that stops people coming to Jesus? Right? We may say, well, it's just what's going on in the world today. It's materialism. It's all these other things. That may play a part in it. But the Bible clearly says there is a reason why people do not come to Christ. And you'll find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. It says that the gospel is veiled. It's hidden. Right? To the perishing, to those that don't know Jesus. Because the God of this age, who is Satan, the devil, has blinded their eyes. I'll read the verse to you. It says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age, Satan, has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Satan will do whatever he can to blind the eyes and shut the ears of unbelievers to the truth of the gospel. That's why when Jesus came in John chapter 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, what? The truth and the life. I'm the way, the truth and the life. John 8, 32, he says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. The enemy is doing everything he can to blind the eyes of those that don't know him. So that's the blockage. That's the reason. But when you come close with the power of God and the presence of God, do you know what happens? The blindness comes off of them. The deafness is cleared. The presence of God is close to them. And suddenly, they are a more open book than they've ever been. It's not because you're good at what you do. It's because the presence of God is there. Let me give you an example. 24 years ago, my wife gave birth to her second child in hospital and invited another woman in the, in the ward to church with us. She was a Catholic woman, and for three weeks, she came to church with us. To all intents and purposes, she looked like the rest of us in church. She was clapping. She was getting into it. She just looked like the part of the furniture. I knew she wasn't born again. It really disturbed me. Didn't know what to do. Left the meeting after the second prayer song, watching her, taking part like everybody else. My spirit was, was disturbed by the whole thing. I went into the toilets. I knew nothing. I had no theology of any description on how to pray against things. I never had any teaching, anything. I stood in the cloakroom of this toilet, and I said, God, this woman has got no conviction of sin. What do I do? And I heard the Holy Spirit say something to me, into my spirit. And I never heard anything like this before. It's, he said to me, pray against spiritual blindness and spiritual deafness. I didn't even know where to start. I didn't even know the words to use. I had no eloquent words. And for in the next 30 seconds to a minute, I did the best I could to pray a prayer against these things. Didn't even know what I was doing. Two minutes later, I'm back into the hall. The end of the third prayer, prayer song, I walk along the back of the hall and down the middle of the aisle, coming back towards my seat. Everything is exactly as it was when I left it. People are standing, people are clapping, people are engaging in praise, except her. She's now in a seated position with her, her head in her lap and her hands over her eyes, and she's sobbing like a baby. I, I arrive, and I look at her, and I'm obviously concerned, and I said to her, said to her what's wrong, what's wrong? 
And she says these words to me, take me to the front of the meeting now. I need to get saved. That, from that day onward, my life changed when it comes. I got an understanding that the God of this age has blinded people from hearing the gospel. But we have the power and the authority to address that. And then when that blindness and when that deafness is removed, they are wide open to the gospel. And we can do that by praying for their needs. Because we engage the presence of God. And as the presence of God comes close, this blindness just comes off of them. And the openness to the gospel is incredible. Do not underestimate ever the presence and the power of God in your life. Do not underestimate it. You have no idea the power that God has invested in you for this. It's all there. I'm a businessman, as it was said earlier. A businessman invests to buy property, for example, for one reason and one reason only, to get a return. I invest for a return. I don't invest for the good of it. I expect a return on my investment, or I wouldn't invest. God has invested in you, His Holy Spirit. God has invested you the power to see lives changed. He's invested in every one of you who know Jesus personally. He expects a return on His investment. He didn't give you that power just for it to sit in you, just for you to feel good. He expects a return on His investment. And we need to bring a return to Him. And felt need evangelism is a fantastic way of doing it. Let me give you a couple examples. My wife, was, uh, her mother was in, in a, a care home before she died, and she met this guy who was in a wheelchair who was facing a cancer operation. And she was seriously... Um, so that this guy was really scared of what this operation was going to be and, and all the rest. And she shared a wee bit with him about Jesus making a difference for fear in his life. Long story short, I get called down. I get a chance to speak to this guy. I offer to pray with him and say to him, you don't, need, you don't need to fear this. Jesus can make a difference. So I get to pray with him. Pray with him. He starts to really soften. I start to share Jesus with him. He tells me, do you realize what I've done? So it doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus can cleanse you. Slate white clean. I lead him to Jesus right after I pray for his need. He shouts out to him. We're in a side room. He shouts these words out. There is a weight come off my shoulders. Now, for us, it's been in the road a long time. It's almost sounded like my burdens rolled away. He had no reference to even use that terminology. It was such a shout that the nurses all ran into the room thinking something was wrong. And he shared with them, this is what happened. He went into that cancer operation three days later, and he didn't make it out of it. Died, but he went to glory. What opened the door for his soul to be one? The fact I prayed for his need, nothing else. That's the difference. A neighbor of my dad's, a really good friend, I got to know this guy really well. He was an atheist, probably one of the strongest atheists I've ever met in my life. His son got saved at 16 and he threw him out of the house because of it. Wouldn't let him back in. It was a real carry-on. Later in his life, he was facing death. Family were called for. He wasn't expected to live on the weekend. And I went to his son and I said, do you think, would it be okay if I go in and pray with your dad? He said, you know my dad, there's no way he'll let you pray for him. I said, I want to go. So I went in, 10 o'clock, into the hospital, in the morning, got to the bedside by myself. His tubes everywhere. He couldn't speak to me. He was right at death's door. And I, I said to him, can you hear me, George? If you can, blink your eyes. And he blink, his eyes started to blink. And I said, I really would like to pray for you today, George, for, for your situation. Would that be okay? And he bl blinked your eyes again, and he blinked his eyes again. So I laid hands on him. I anointed him with oil. I prayed over him for his need, and I left. I did nothing about sharing Jesus with him. That's what I did. 
The following day, he, he made it. The following day, he made it. Three weeks later, he was discharged from hospital and sent home. And I, everybody was delayed. I was chuffed. His family was chuffed. But six months later, I heard that he had died and had missed the funeral. It was three weeks uh, before I'd heard about it. I was really disappointed that he died, disappointed that he had, um, had missed the funeral. And I met his son, and the first things I said to his son is, I'm so disappointed about your dad, and I'm so disappointed I, met, uh, I missed the funeral. At that point, he broke, his son broke into a great big smiley grin, and he said, but he's with Jesus. It's okay, he's with Jesus. That's what he means, he's with Jesus. He said, after you prayed with him, and he got home three weeks later, the softness on him was incredible. And somebody came in over that six-month period, two weeks before he died, and shared Jesus with him, and he got saved. Soft as anything, and responded to the gospel, and two weeks later, he was away. What opened the door for him to receive Jesus? The fact that I went and prayed for his need. Presence of God come close, softened him up, and the gospel was spoken, he got saved. That was the difference. I had a fish merchant come to my office one day. Again, I was doing a kitchen for him. He came in, my wife was working in the reception area part-time, and she said, there's a guy here to see and he's drunk. <laughs> I thought, oh, no. My way to present a kitchen and he's drunk. But when he came into the office, he wasn't drunk. He had Parkinson's disease. And he tells me that there's nothing he could be done for it. And I asked him this question. Now, listen to this. I asked him the question, can I pray for you? Has anybody offered to pray for you? This was his response. Son, he says, do you know who I am? And I said, by name, yes. He said, and he named four men in Aberdeen who were key business people, right at the very high level, top level, brethren men, godly men. And he said, these men, after he named them, have tried to convert me for 30 years. And I said, them, who spoke about converting you? All I've done is opened. I asked you if I can pray for you. Oh, okay. His defense mechanism went down. I went round the side of the desk, did exactly what I shared earlier, put my hand on his shoulder, and started to pray with him. I could just see the softening coming as the Spirit of God started to touch him. I went back around the desk, and I just started to share Jesus with him. Ten minutes later, he gave his life to Christ. And he said this to me, I cannot wait to get home and phone these four men. And I said, oh, fantastic. Now, I share this for this reason, and this reason only. Was I better than the four men that consistently, over 30 years, shared the gospel with him? Was I a better evangelist? Was my message any better? Was my heart any better towards him? Not at all. Not at all. The difference simply was this. I prayed for his need, and as I laid my hands on him, the presence of Jesus came close enough to touch him, broke off the blindness, broke off the deafness that was on him, enough so that when I went round the other side of the desk and just started to share Jesus, he was wide open and received him. That was the only difference to the whole situation. From knocking back his interest in Christ completely for 30 years, within 10 to 15 minutes, this guy was a born-again believer. And we do it and told everybody. Everybody knew that he met, he told. I was getting phone calls from people saying, I need to hear it from your lips. Did you lead so-and-so? Do you know who he is? He's one of the most powerful business guys in his industry, and this guy's so significant. I didn't know anything about it. All I did was offer to pray for the guy's need. The difference, folks, was the presence of God. That's why in Matthew chapter 5, it says this. You are the salt of the earth. Speaking to us as believers. You are the salt of the earth. There is a dictionary definition for the salt of the earth. You know what it is? It says a person or a group of people regarded as the finest of their kind. A person or a group of people regarded as the finest of their kind. That's what we are called to be. We're called to be the salt 
of the earth, which means we're called to get alongside the people and be the finest we can be, be the best we can be, and share with them. But meet their needs. Meet the need first. So when I asked you the question right at the start, how many find it hard to witness? Most hands went up, including mine. Let me ask you the question another way around now. How many would find it hard to offer prayer to someone who is constantly telling you that they've got a need? If I sent you out on the street today and said to you, and I've done, this has been done, I'm not, I'm not going to send you, in fact, I'll maybe just send you out for St. Persia. <laughs> but if I was to send you out and say, I want you to stop a person in the street, whoever you meet, and say, can I pray for you? Any need. And we've done this lots of times. You know, the first one might not let you, the second one might, but you'll find somebody at will. I'm not even asking you to do that. What I'm asking you to do is this. Pray every morning for a week. Every morning. And pray this prayer. Lord, by your Spirit, tune my ear to hear the needs of the lost. That's all. Just a simple prayer. And what you'll find is, all throughout that day, every day of the week, you will find, you will hear people tell you about a situation in their life, their family's life, their friends' lives, their neighbors' lives, somewhere that's going on that they're concerned about. Just for a week, take note, a mental note, how many times you hear it, because now you're spiritually aware of what's going on. The following week, as you hear it, and I'm not asking you to bring up the subject, I'm just asking you to listen, but as you hear them say what they've got a need, at that point say, can I pray for that? It's all you need to do. Now, let me say this to you, and I'll, I'll prophesy this over you as a church. If every single person did that in this church over the next few weeks, you would double your numbers. Absolutely categorically, because people will respond. I have, and of the hundreds of people I have prayed with, only two or three have said no to prayer. Does it mean they all understood what was going to happen? Some of them even said, oh, I don't believe in it. Doesn't matter whether you believe in it or no, I would say to them. I do. Let me pray. Only two or three have ever said no. Everybody else has been open to it. Why? Because they're desperate. Absolutely desperate. That's why, they're, that's why they're sharing it with you. You have the answer. You bring the presence of God into that situation, and you'll be astonished at what you'll, how open they'll then be to share Jesus with in the gospel. That's why people have got this the wrong way around. The Westminster Catechism says this, that man's chief end is to glorify God or to worship God. And it is. We're here to worship him. There's no doubt about that. But if that's all we're here for, we'll miss it. Because if we're here just to worship him, let me ask you this question. Why did God not take us, the minute that we were born again, straight to heaven, to a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week worship party like no other one on this planet that's happening right around about us right now in heaven? Why did God not take us right to heaven if that's all we're here for? For this reason, we're on this planet. He's kept us here as born-again believers to win as many people as possible for Christ. That's what we're here for. We're here to win the lost, to bring people with us. The Bible says clearly in Second Peter, it's not his will that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. There's another verse in First Timothy 4, 2, sorry, 2, 4, which says, God desires all men, all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's his desire. God is passionate about souls. We need to get the same desire in our hearts for the same thing. Many people off a platform used to say years ago when they gave an appeal as we were winding up a meeting like I'm away to do now, if you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, Jesus could be back tonight for all you know. I've heard that many times. 
But let me tell you something. Jesus won't be back tonight. And I'm not saying that off the, this platform to be arrogant at all. But the reason I can say that with all confidence is because the Bible clearly tells you when Jesus is coming back. Not the day or the hour, but it tells you clearly that Christ will come back when the gospel is preached to all nations. And it hasn't been done yet. When God gave Noah, what did God give Noah? God gave Noah a task to build an ark. He didn't give him a date when the flood would come. He just gave him a task. When the ark was built, the task was completed, the flood came. It's exactly the same with the gospel. When the gospel is preached to the nations fully, Jesus will come back. We're not there yet. We've got to take personal responsibility ourselves for our personal people around about us. There's a Greek word called oikios, which means sphere of influence. And each one of us has got our own spheres. Mine is in business, and I can reach people in business. Yours could be in teaching, or yours could be in, in engineering, and you've got a sphere of influence there I can't personally reach, but you can. We're all responsible for our own spheres of influence. So we need to take responsibility for that. So let me just finish with saying this. That story I told you in Acts chapter 3, when the lame man was healed, and then 5,000 are added to the church. The story goes on, if you follow it through Acts chapter 4, that the, the apostles are pulled before the Sanhedrin, which is the government of the day, the religious order of the day. These men cannot stop the apostles. They can't get them to shut up. They're astounded at the boldness that's on them. And they even discharge them after they try and get them to stop saying anything in, in Jesus' name again. They actually dis dismiss them, saying, we can't even punish them. They tell them not to say it, but they can't punish them. They leave that room with these, the Sanhedrin. And the first place they go is to a prayer room. You'll find it in Acts chapter 4, 21, 22. And then in 29 and 30, you'll find that this is what they pray for. They pray for great boldness to come upon them that they could see signs and wonders and the preaching of the kingdom. Think about that for a second before we close. Here's two apostles that have seen a phenomenal miracle. They've seen a lame man walk. They've seen 5,000 added to the church. They've stood before the government of the day. They've defied them. They can't put the, the, their passion out. They can't quench it at all. They defy them with their boldness. Yet they still feel the need to go back to the prayer room and ask again, Lord, give us boldness again to preach your word for signs and wonders following. That's what they need. That's what we need. We really, really need to take personal responsibility for ourselves, for the people that we meet around about us, and to start to pray for their needs. And as we do that, you watch what the Spirit of God will do. And that's why I, I said earlier, I'm passionate about the baptism of the Holy Spirit because it gives you the power to witness. And we need all the power we can to just take a step, a courageous step out, and just say to people, I can pray for that. I can pray for that. Do you want me to pray? Can I pray? If they say, well, I'm embarrassed for you to pray now. Well, I've got a group in the church, a couple of friends. Can we pray for that together? I was on my way to a Methodist church just to share. They asked me to come in and share on Acts chapter 3 because they were studying the book of Acts. And they'd come to Acts chapter 3. And I was on my way to speak about it because I prayed for a deaf guy that was totally deaf without hearing aids and he got healed. And they'd heard about it. And they said, would you come and share it with us and teach that chapter 3? And just as I was leaving the coffee shop, I was having a coffee on before I went up to the shop. A guy walked into the coffee shop, and he said, where do you go? And I told him what was the way to do. He says, you must hear this. He said, just nine miles away, I know the church. It's a, it's a, a Pentecostal church. A family contacted the church, an unsaved, unchurched family, to say that a child in the family had two days to live 
and the doctors could do nothing for this child, would they pray? They heard that they prayed for the sick. Would you pray? So the church mobilized and started to pray. Two days later, the child's discharged from the hospital. Never mind, the child's supposed to die. The child's discharged from the hospital two days later. On the Sunday following, seven members of that family, unchurched people, filled a row. Whole row, seven of them. At the end of the meeting, when the appeal was given and the altar call, all seven gave their lives to Christ. Why did they do that? What opened the door for that? Simply that the church took a step to pray for their needs. God responded, and the whole seven of a family came to Christ on the strength of that. That's the power I'm talking about. That's the thing. If you are willing to take a step out, God will meet you. But you need to take that step first. Can we stand together as we're close? Just as a worship team come up, back up, and we're closing this meeting off, I'd like you just to close your eyes for a second. There's a few things I just really like to challenge you with, but first thing I really, I don't know everybody's in this place this morning. You might have been invited as a guest. You might have been coming for the first time. You've maybe been coming for a while. It doesn't matter. My question to you is every eye is closed, every head bowed. Don't want anybody looking around right now. Let me ask you this question. Do you know Jesus personally? Have you come to a place of a personal relationship with Jesus? Jesus died that you would have life. Jesus died that you would have purpose and meaning and destiny and peace in your life. And you can have that today. But you need to make a response towards him. He is there. His arms are open to you. He created you for a purpose. And that's to have a relationship with you. And he's just waiting for you to connect with him. You can connect with Jesus today if you've never done that for the first time today can be a day you can connect so as every head is bowed and every eye is closed nobody's looking around and i'm not going to embarrass you i'm just going to ask a simple question would you like to connect with jesus today for the first time it's the best decision you will ever make in your life you can do that today if you want to do that whether you understand the whole implication of it doesn't matter you'll grow into that it'll be okay but if you just say, yeah, I've never done it. I need to do this. I need to make a response. If every eye is closed, every head is bowed, I'm just going to give you that opportunity now and say, if you want to do that for the first time, lift your hand up and put it back down again, and I'll pray. I see your hand. Anybody else? Yeah, I see your hand. I see your hand. That's great. Anybody else? Yes, that's great. That's great. I see your hand at the back as well. That's four people that have lifted their hand to say for the first time, yes, I want to receive Jesus. That's fantastic. Let's just pray a prayer with these people today, can we? First, I'm just going to pray a prayer. Everyone to repeat it with me. And those that's lifted their hands, it'll be the first time you've said it. But if the rest of us just say it together, it'll just help them a wee bit. Just say, Lord Jesus, I come to you today. I acknowledge my need for you. I thank you that you came. I thank you that you came and died for me. To give me a new start. I ask you to come into my life today. I ask you to forgive everything I've ever done. I ask you to wipe the slate clean today. And give me a brand new start. Come into my life today, Lord Jesus. And connect with me. So that I can fully connect with you. I receive you today as my personal Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That for you, if that's the first time you pray that prayer, is the best, best decision that you can do. 
The next thing you need to do is go out and win as many people for Jesus as you possibly can. So let me ask the question of everybody in the room now that knows Jesus personally. I asked that question earlier on. How many of you would love to lead someone to Jesus for the first time? Many of you lifted your hands. So I'm going to pray today for an empowering on you, an impartation of boldness and power that we can respond to just to really move into this as a church. We believe this is what the Spirit of God sent to the church. So just as the worship team maybe lead a song, it would be great if you feel that, that we just come forward and I can just maybe get a chance to pray with some of you just as we do that. I really believe in impartation. I really believe that if we do that and we say, Lord, empower us today. Um, if some of you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit for the first time, again, it's, it's something that's so essential. Let me say something. The baptism of the Spirit is not an uh, additional extra. It's not a deluxe edition of Christianity. It's the way it was meant to be. It's essential for life. Come and be filled with the Holy Spirit that you have power to witness and be empowered to reach the lost on a personal level. Can we do that this morning? If you want that prayer this morning, come to the front and we'll pray. That'd be great. Can you just lead us in something as we do that? Hi, I hope that today's message has helped you. If you want to find out more about us as a church, download more audio teaching, give us feedback, or make a contribution to our ongoing work and mission here in Edinburgh, please visit our website at destinyedinburgh.com. May God continue the great work that he is doing in your life.